Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. What do you say? You want to grab a chair and go outside? Have church? Heather, what do you think? All right. Let's just do it in our heads. Didn't know you'd be so agreeable to it. I want to take a moment to say hello to Charlie and Roxanne, who are watching us online. And Charlie, we're believing for full recovery in your body right now in Jesus' name. And we love you very much. So here's the deal. Since he's not here to say amen, you're going to have to fill in the gaps. All right. (laughs) Thank you very much. And all of you who are joining us online, we love you. We bless you today. Thank you for being a part of our service. And all of you who are listening to our podcasts, um, we hear testimony all the time um, about those who have been listening and being encouraged by the ministry of One Cause Church. And obviously, all of you who are here today, thank you for being here. Love you. And I'm believing for great things today. You know, David said, I was glad. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. I was glad. You know, you can set your heart to be glad. Set your heart to be. There's some places you go that, you know, you regret that you went. But, you know, I've never been to church and regretted ever going. I've always been encouraged, always been built up. There's something about when we come together, and the Scripture says how beautiful and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. We don't know all the power of what's happening at this gathering, but we do know that something good is happening, you know, we're encouraged, we're strengthened, and uh, so I just want to encourage you to set your heart, set your mind, set your mouth in expectation about the continual gathering of the believers in the house of God. God meets us here in very special ways. Now, He is very personal in our own individual lives and experiences, but He has something special for us when we gather together, and I just love that, and, and I think that you believe that because you're here. Amen. Amen. Um, uh, today, I want to I just encourage you. I want to talk about traits of an encourager. You know, we all, we all need to be more mindful of this, as, especially as believers, that you have words that bring life. You have words that can penetrate through walls and darkness and despair and help bring someone up in their life and to build them up. And it's really not difficult. It's really not difficult. Sometimes we think we need to sound religious, you know, in order to, to, you know, let people know who we are and, you know, maybe what they're missing out on. I don't know what the reasons are, except maybe we feel like if we're going to represent God, we should do that. Kind of like the guest preacher who came to church and the pastor introduced him and, and, and he got up there and he said, let us pray, O great God of the cosmos, thou art before all and thou art beyond all. Thou hast made all things by the works of thy hands. All things were created that were created. Nothing was made that was made without your hand in it. Thou hast parted the sea, the great sea, and brought the children of Israel out in triumphant victory. Thou knowest all things. Thou declarest the end from the beginning. There whence and straightway, and therefore, we are but dust. About that time, a little girl grabbed her mom on the front row. She said, Mama, what is butt dust? (laughs) Sometimes you can just talk right over people's heads. Just talk right over their head by sounding religious. Listen, 
It's not on you to sound spiritual. It's on you to be spiritual, all right, to be spiritual. And it can be as simple as a smile on your face. All right? It can be just as simple as, I love you. How are you doing today? A simple, I care. Can I pray for you? Something along those lines. I mean, these little things, these little words, these little encouragements reap huge dividends in the lives of individuals. And if you'll set your mind to it, set your heart to it, that you're going to encourage someone today. Just make up your mind every day of your life. You're going to encourage someone. You know, my parents got married young. They were 16 years old when they got married. And they're still married. And as a result of that, <clears throat> being teenage, teenage kids, married, uh, there was a lot of fighting that was going on in that marriage. And, uh, but they made this pact with one another that they, as far as I know, to this day have kept. And they were going to say, I love you at least three times a day to each other, at least three times. And there were many days when the, when the sun came up, they were fighting. And when the sun went down, they hadn't finished fighting. And mom and dad have told me several times when we got in bed, after fighting all day long, nothing went good, yet we had that commitment. So we look at each other and, each other and say, I love you, I love you, I love you, good night. <laughs> but you know those words stuck. These words stick. Words change lives. The scripture says that Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Hey, keep life in it then. If life is in the power of the tongue, then speak life and continue to speak life. Muhammad Ali, the great heavyweight champion, he was asked, what's the greatest lesson you've learned? And he began to tell a story about a heavyweight title bout with Sonny Liston, y'all remember, remember him? Uh, <clears throat> Sonny Liston in 1964. And <clears throat> he said that Sonny Liston was the strongest man I'd ever fought. He said, as a matter of fact, every time I hit him, it hurt me way worse than it hurt him. And he said, I gave that man everything that I had. And after six rounds, I was completely spent. I couldn't even lift my arms. I'm sitting there in the corner with no strength to get back up and get back in the ring. He said, and that's when I turned to my trainer, Angelo Dundee, and said, I'm done. I'm out of this fight. I'm going home. And Angelo Dundee, he said, insisted that I get in there and get back in the fight. The bell rang, and Ali just sat there. He refused to go in. And that's when Dundee spoke up, and he pushed him, and he said, you listen to me. You get in that ring and don't come out until you're the heavyweight champion of the world. And upon hearing those words, Ali struggled to his feet. And Sonny Liston didn't. And that night, Muhammad Ali, then known as Cassius Clay, became the heavyweight champion of the world. And he said, the greatest lesson I've learned is that you need someone pushing you. You need someone making you do things that you thought you could never do. All right, you're going to learn something today about being an encourager. What you can do for someone who feels hopeless, who feels helpless, by just bringing some words of encouragement can change somebody's entire outlook and therefore change their entire life. Amen. Uh, we're going to go to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. 
The word in the Greek for encourage is the word parakleo, and it means to call to one's side or to come to one's aid, to console, to encourage, and to strengthen. In the, in the Webster's Dictionary, it means to inspire with courage, spirit, or confidence. And we're going to look at the life of a man by the name of Barnabas. We don't know a whole lot about Barnabas, but we do know he was highly impactful, especially to the Apostle Paul. Now, that wasn't his name given by his parents. They had given him the name Joseph, or it's also translated Joseph. He was named Barnabas by the apostles, Peter, James, and John. They called him that, and it means son of encouragement. It's what the Scripture says. It literally means son of rest. Son of rest. And some people are gifted in this. They're gifted with the gift of encouragement. They always seem to have a positive outlook on things. You know who those people are, right? Charlie is one of those. Huh? They always can see, uh, always seem to point to the possibility in a situation. I'm grateful for people like that in my life. First Thessalonians 5 says, so encourage each other and build each other up. So let's look into the life of Barnabas. We're going to see three key traits for you and I to take into our own lives and to practice these things in being an encourager. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas, this is Acts chapter 4, verse 36, by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now you have to understand, this is the very beginning of the church. It's the church in its infant stage. It had started in Acts chapter 2 on the day when the Holy Spirit came and, and fell upon uh, 120 people, and this miraculous thing happened. They all began to speak with other tongues, the Spirit said. And there were many Jews that were gathered here at the time because it was time for the feast, the feast of the first fruits, feast of weeks. And, and many of them heard what was going on. They were all very confused by what was happening because they heard these people who were Galileans speak in their own language. I mean, they came from all over the world, and all of them heard perfectly in their own language what these people were saying. God performed a miracle, and it was a sign to them, and they said, what? is this? And that's when Peter stood up and preached the gospel to them and told them that this was what was prophesied by the prophet Joel. In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And it goes on and on. And so at that moment, they, he preaches the gospel. They come to know Christ, an amazing 3,000 of them. So the church in its infant stage, I mean, just <laughs> explodes. So as a result of that, you've got thousands of people now. So lots of needs start arising, all right? And so they, they need supply for the need to keep the ministry going. And so they start just letting people know we, we have needs. And so people started bringing stuff. They started selling uh, some of their stuff or bringing some stuff to the church and laying at the apostles' feet so they could distribute to the needy as uh, they needed. And, and so here it is. Barnabas is one of those. And it says he sold a piece of land and he brought the proceeds to the apostles so that they could distribute it as necessary to the ministry. Now let's look at Acts chapter 11. And we'll see another peek into Barnabas. It says, Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they went, sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. Verse 23, When he came he had, and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he, speaking of Barnabas, was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. The first trait of an encourager is that an encourager brings blessings. An encourager brings blessings. And we see that in the life of Barnabas. Not only did he bring material blessings, but he also brought spiritual blessings in encouraging the people to stay with the Lord. 
1998, I uh, came on staff at a church out in San Angelo under a man that I was somewhat familiar with, uh, the pastor there, but I didn't know him like I knew my own father. My dad got me started in ministry and after I graduated Bible college in 1991 and came back home to San Angelo and, and my first ministry position was, of course, cleaning the church, uh, the, the uh, high, high position job of janitor in the church. And we also had a Christian school there. And so I was doing that as my job. And also I taught a high school Sunday school class. And, and all of my experience in ministry was under my dad as far as church life went and full-time ministry. And I, I really enjoyed the way he just did it. And the, his leadership, that was the only thing I was familiar with. This other pastor was a lot different, a lot different in the way that he uh, saw ministry and the way that he conducted ministry. And so I was a bit apprehensive about becoming part of his team. And uh, but this was a man that my dad had set in as the pastor there, and so I felt confident that if dad was confident in him, so, so was I. Uh, but still, not knowing what he would expect. Because, you know, it was easy for me to, in some ways, to come in under my dad because, you know, it's pretty easy not to get fired in that situation, right? It's pretty good job security. Uh, but this was a different deal. And uh, so... My dad came out to see me. He was living uh, in Austin at the time, and he came out to see me. He said, son, I want to take you somewhere. So he gets me in his car, and we drive to this, this department store there in San Angelo or, or whatever. You, what do you call that? wouldn't call it a boutique, would you, or whatever. It was a men's store, but it was a, a high-end men's store uh, where they custom-tailored suits and things like that. And any suit that I ever had before was a hand-me-down by somebody, was at a second-hand store, or, you know, J.C. Penney's or something like that. And, and so that, that's just, that basically had been my suit experience. But when we walked into Gabriel's on Beauregard in San Angelo, Texas, I was in a whole new world. And so he called this tailor over to him, and the tailor starts measuring me. You know, he's got the tape measure and measure and all, all over his shoulders and arm length. And, and so then he goes and finds this suit, and he puts it on me and starts, you know, moving, uh, making the cuffs the right length to my arms and the, and the, the pants the right length to, to uh, my legs and all that. I mean, this thing was custom fit to Eric Holler. And then he bought some shirts and ties. And when we walked out of there, I felt like I could do anything. I did. It gave me a whole new outlook on life, a new perspective. My dad told me, he said, son, there's something about uh, a suit what it does to a man, especially one that's tailor-made to you. And I come to find out that was right. And that boosted me and bolstered me to have confidence in my new position. You have so many opportunities in life, especially in the land of this great nation, this prosperous nation, to be able to give and to invest in someone. Because though what you may possess may be valuable, what you give is priceless. And it can change someone's life. Amen. Uh, but the, the things that uh, God promises to you is the same promise that he promised to Abraham. I will bless you and you will be a blessing. An encourager brings blessings. Now let's go to the second trait here of the encourager by looking at Barnabas. And this is Acts chapter 9, I believe. In verse 26, it says, and when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. And y'all know why, right? This is Saul, who would later become Paul, but at this point, he's Saul. He is the uh, Al-Qaeda or ISIS 
to the church in that time, all right? I mean, he was out to destroy the church. And he believed that he was fully on God's side. He had a conviction that this thing, this Christian way, or what they called the way, was going to destroy their way of life. And so he did everything he could to make sure people were killed for it, people were imprisoned for it, and he was good at it. So now all of a sudden, uh, he's come around to the apostles and he's trying to let them know, no, things have changed. So you can imagine their apprehension here. Verse 27, but Barnabas, everybody say, but Barnabas. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. They go from what having nothing to do with him to Barnabas standing in there for him. Now they welcome Paul with open arms. This is what an encourager does. Number two, an encourager breaks barriers. An encourager breaks barriers. In the Greek language, in its tense of the verb, it says that Paul tried time and time and time again to have audience with these guys, and they would have nothing to do with them. James, who's the half-brother of Jesus, right? He wants nothing to do with Saul. Peter, who, who, to whom Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Peter, uh-uh. Nothing to do with Saul. How about John, the beloved? I mean, the disciple of love who called himself the disciple Jesus love. I love everybody but Saul, apparently. None of them wanted anything to do with him. Everybody else, they all shut the door. Because all they had known about Saul was that he was a murderer, he was a blasphemer, all those things. He was trying to destroy them. He wanted them extinguished. And now maybe, what's he doing here now? Maybe he's up to something, trying to lay a trap, something. But here comes Barnabas. Here comes the son of encouragement to the rescue. And Barnabas wasn't intimidated by this opposition that he, saw to, that he saw to Saul. He got right into the mix of things. He brought Saul right to them and addressed this barrier head on. This is the mark of a real encourager. He will champion the underdog. Amen. He will, y'all are supposed to say amen right there. See, Charlie would have said amen right there. <laughs> he will jump on the bandwagon when everybody else is jumping off. Notice that Barnabas took him. And look what he says about Saul in verse 27. Look what he says to the, to the disciples. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and how he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Isn't it interesting that Barnabas never brings up Saul's past here? He doesn't mention it. He never alluded to his mistakes. He didn't say, hey, look, I know this man was a murderer. I know he was a blasphemer. And I know that he was out to destroy the church. And I know he put a lot of you in prison. No, Barnabas, as an encourager, didn't look at his past. He looked to Saul's future. He didn't look at what Paul had done. He looked at now what Paul could do. And he said, in effect, don't look at the man that he was. Look at who he is now. Mary was different than all the other kids, and she hated that about herself. She hated that she was different. She um, was born with a cleft palate, and she was the target of much ridicule. She bore the jokes of stares of cruel children, who teased her nonstop about her misshaped lip and her crooked nose and her garbled speech. 
And with all the teasing, Mary grew up hating the fact that she was different. She was convinced that no one outside of her own family would ever love her or could ever love her and that she really had nothing to offer. That was until she entered Mrs. Leonard's class. And Mrs. Leonard was a very cheerful and bright lady. She had a very warm smile, round face, and shiny brown hair. And all the kids liked Mrs. Leonard, but Mary came to love Mrs. Leonard. And Mrs. Leonard, um, back in, in those days in the 1950s and maybe a little later, some of you people here might know what I'm talking about, that the teacher would give a hearing test, an annual hearing test to the students. Were you, did you, any of you participate that in school, that your teacher gave you the hearing test? And so one part of the hearing test was called the whisper test, where they'd send the child across the room and put one ear against the door, right? And, and then she would whisper something to them to make sure that both ears could hear. Well, along with this cleft palate issue, Mary also had another problem, that she was almost deaf in one of her ears. And she did not want the other kids to find another reason to see why she was different. So she hid it. And actually, she cheated on those hearing tests. So when that time came, most of the time, she'd be by the door. You're supposed to cover up one, one ear with your hand. Well, she never would quite cover it up so she could make sure she could hear. And she learned that the teachers would say stuff like, uh, what color is the sky? What kind of shoes do you have on? And so she learned to answer those questions, and she passed those tests and kept it quiet. And then this one day, expecting to hear one of those common phrases in that whisper test, Mrs. Leonard, I believe her mouth was apprehended by God who gave her some very special words to say to Mary that day. And those words that Mary heard were, I wish you were my little girl. And that changed everything about how Mary looked at life, changed her whole outlook. No longer did she walk with her head low. Now, she knew she was loved outside of her family. And the truth is, Mary began to go up in life, go up in her grades to where she became the top student in her class. You know, it doesn't cost you anything to encourage someone. But it's an investment that pays huge dividends in others' lives. You can simply say something. You could send a text. You could write something. You can give something, do something for someone and that has the potential for life. That has the potential for hope. That has the potential for strength, amen, and for healing. Let's go to uh, Acts chapter 15. Let me say this. Your words of encouragement, they carry a power with them that can help someone lift their head up and try again. It's not enough for us to just feel sorry for someone and sympathize with them, and we should sympathize with people. But my family, you have something to say, so don't be afraid to speak up. Speak up in moments and speak life. Remind them that through the Lord, anything is possible. They continually in Him have a future and a hope. They don't have to stay where they are. They don't have to be crippled by what's happened in their life. Encourage them to try, to, uh, try again. Help direct their thinking forward. Help them to see that the barriers of failed attempts, the barriers of strained and broken relationships, the barriers of discouragement really can come crumbling down. That they don't have to hold them captive any longer. Lend them a hand to pull or to push them beyond that barrier. An encourager breaks barriers. 
Now let's look at this third trait of an encourager. An, an encourager, <clears throat> excuse me, hang on just one second. Do we have a water there or something? Huh? Hmm. Backwash, wonderful. <laughs> but that is the sweetest tasting backwash I've ever had, huh? <laughs> an encourager brings blessings. An encourager breaks barriers. And let's look at Acts chapter 15 now. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse 36. Then, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another, and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. This third trait I want to get to you today is that an encourager <clears throat> builds bridges. Now, when you, from this text, it's hard really to see what I'm talking about. How, how do you get building bridges from this passage when men are separating here? But you have to wait to see this one. See, Mark, also known as John Mark, was the nephew of Barnabas. And um, some time on a missionary journey, uh, we don't know what Mark's issue was, whether he got discouraged or maybe he just got homesick and wanted to go home. He left Paul and Barnabas while they were doing missionary work and went home. Well, Paul didn't like that. He didn't like that at all. So now they're going to go on a second one, and Barnabas says, let's go, and he wants to take Mark, and, and Paul's like, no, no, we ain't doing this again. I'm not taking Mama's boy this time, all right? Uh, we know that he's not made of the right kind of stuff, and so they have this big fight about it, and so much so that they split ways. I think it's interesting that Paul gave up on this, this young man uh, when Barnabas never gave up on him. Kind of interesting. And, but but we got to keep reading the story. Barnabas didn't see Mark like Paul did, and maybe because Mark was family. You know, you just look at your family different than you do everybody else. Uh, Barnabas didn't see Mark's problems, though, like Paul did, as much as he saw potential in this young man. You know, encouragers see potential when other people see problems. And Barnabas apparently believed in Mark so much that he's willing to part ways with Paul to take him with him. You know that what John Mark needed, he needed somebody to see potential. He needed a bridge builder. He needed a word of encouragement. He just needed somebody to believe in him. This is a great quote by the, the American businessman Charles Schwab who said, I have yet to find a man, however exalted his station, who did not do better work and put forth greater effort under a spirit of approval than under a spirit of criticism. If Barnabas had quit on Mark, if he had quit on Mark, then we may never have been able to turn in our Bibles to a gospel called Mark and read words like, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. If Barnabas hadn't taken Mark with him, we might not have never read, have faith in God. For whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea 
and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says shall come to pass, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you desire when you pray, believe you receive them and you will have them. What if Barnabas quit believing in Mark? We wouldn't read, and these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out devils. They will speak in new tongues. They will take up serpents. If they drink anything deadly, it shall not harm them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. Aren't you glad Barnabas took Mark with him? Huh? We have to go to a couple of Paul's letters to find the bridge. And we're going to go to Colossians chapter 4. How did Barnabas build a bridge by separating from Paul and Mark? Let's look at this. Mark, uh, Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. Paul writes, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greet you. This is quite a bit of time after that incident took place, after Paul and Barnabas had already separated. Prisoner greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, or actually the nephew, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, Welcome him. See, if Barnabas hadn't taken Mark with him, then we might not be reading about Paul's mention of him to the church in Colossae. 2 Timothy chapter 4, the very last words Paul penned before he would be beheaded. The very last words, the very last chapter of the last book that he wrote, 2 Timothy chapter 4 says, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Wow, at one time Mark was of no use to Paul, but now he has become quite useful in his last days. It's hard to connect all the dots between Paul and Barnabas after they had parted ways, but Mark ends up being the bridge that connects the two later in life. An encourager is a bridge builder. You may not see the fruit of it immediately when you encourage someone And yet they continue to fail, yet they continue to go astray, yet they continue to be a knucklehead. You may not see it immediately, but over time, through steady and constant encouragement, bridges are built. Just this morning, when I was finishing up my notes on this this sermon, I got this message from Eric Ortenblad, Pastor Eric Ortenblad formerly our men's director and kids pastor and whatever else he set his hand to do. Where's that other microphone? I I wanted you to hear this. I thought, wow, this is encouraging. Oh, wrong thing. Sorry. That was a recording I sent to my wife. Keep your thoughts up. Okay. Good morning, Pastor Eric. This is Eric Ortenblad. Uh, I was praying this morning, and I saw you on a roller coaster, and you were just leaving the station. And every step up the climb of that first big hill um, was the click, 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 click. And, and you sit there in anticipation going, I know what's coming, but I wish this would go faster. It takes a lot more energy and, and that to, to get to that initial climb. And and you got to the top of it, and I heard the Lord say, put your hands up, praise me where you are, and watch my glory unfold. And in a moment, you went, started going down the, the first big hill, and it was so easy, and it was so light, 
and it was without care or without out work, but it was just a joy and happiness that, that surrounded you. And the Lord said, let me build my church. You put your hands up in praise, take your hands off, put your hands up in praise, and see what I am going to do in this place. Those manifestations that you have been believing for, I have ready and waiting. Just praise me, and you'll see the glory come. I hope this blesses you. I hope you guys have a great service today. We love you. We'll be praying for you, and we'll talk. Uh, I'll maybe try to give you a call this week and love to catch up. Have a great day, Pastor. How great is that? So as soon as I got it, I put my hands in the air. I said, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. As I'm preparing a sermon about encouragement, that came. And then this man, this man, Chris, uh, between services, said, I got a word from the Lord for you and spoke another word concerning our church um, and that there's an expectation for greater days ahead. So when, when I, I, I realized then that, that God... God, even as I was preparing this message, I just felt like there's, some, there's, there's a timing on this message. It's, it's a right now word. It really is, not only for from myself, not only for our church, but you and your own individual lives. That God is, is putting something in you today, making a deposit in you to encourage you, to strengthen you, and to help you realize just how powerful you are in this earth and just how much he needs you to open your mouth. And let the word of life, let the words of life come flowing out. Amen. You just never know. Like I said, it's not that difficult. It's not that hard. It's not hard to, to bring an encouraging word, to be kind to someone, to smile, to just put your hand on their shoulder and say, you can do it. Encourage someone they can do it again. Just those words, go for it. Try again. They just bring such peace and strength for people. Don't ever underestimate the power of, of an encouraging word. I believe that all of us here are today, those who have received it sometime in our life where it changed our outlook. It changed our situation. A coach, a teacher, pastor, pastor, pastor. I mean, mom, dads, friends, somebody along the way helped push you forward. Flatter me, and I may not believe you. Criticize me, and I may not like you. Ignore me, and I may not forgive you. Encourage me, and I will never forget you. An encourager brings blessings. Be willing to give of what you have, materially, spiritually, emotionally. An encourager breaks barriers. Champion the underdog. Help someone see beyond their walls and break through their barriers. And an encourager builds bridges. Don't give up on people. Stay with the patient process to build bridges. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. We thank you for your kindness that you've shown toward us. Lord, we know what your word teaches us. It is the goodness and the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Help us to remember that what your goodness and kindness does for us and what our goodness and kindness for others can do, God. People don't need us to be judges in the earth. They don't need more judges. They need encouragers. They don't need more critics. They need someone that can see past the problem and see the potential 
and look to the possibility. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, that you saw, you show us what was possible in us when we were lost in sin. We were dead in our trespasses, yet in Christ Jesus, you made us alive together with him. We who were yet in sin, yet you demonstrated your love in that moment. Christ died for us. You showed us, God, that there's unlimited potential for those who put their trust in you. Those who are in you, God, have limitless possibilities. Thank you that Christ died for our sins and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. And whoever believes on him will have everlasting life. Whoever believes on him will live in that realm continually of anything is possible. Help us, God, to be faithful stewards of your word. Lord, to declare it, to declare its promise to others, to declare its life to others, its strength and its power and its joy. Help us, Lord, not to be passive. Help us, Lord, not to stay silent, but, Lord, to speak up and to speak out and to speak life in the name of Jesus. Lord, in this culture where there's so much negative negativity, so much negative talk, so much tearing down, Lord, we will be the voice. Come on, just make a commitment to him right where you are. I will be the voice who will bring change. I will bring the voice, the voice who will speak life. I will be the one who brings peace here in Jesus' name. I will be a peacemaker. Father, I'm committing to you to share your word, to share the good news, God, in the midst of a perverse world, in the midst of, Lord, of a, of a dark world, Lord, to bring words of light in Jesus' name. As you said, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Lord, thank you that you've brought people in our own lives who have spoken to us, built us up, and helped us move forward. And may we be those people where we go, in our families, on our jobs, in the grocery store, in life, God, in the name of Jesus. Because one word from God can change a life forever. In one moment. Thank you, Lord, for the power of your word. The pressure's not on us. Your gospel's the power. Your gospel's the power. We just need to speak it out. Thank you, Lord. In the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. I want you to look at someone and tell them there is nothing in the world. Tell them, there's nothing in the world two people can't do when one of them is God and the other one is you. Let's say it again. There is nothing in the world two people can't do when one of them is God and the other one is you. Now, doesn't that make you happy? Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.